if you are astute, you may realize that there is a difference in the uh, slight difference in the passage that is on the screen behind me and which is printed on the front of the bulletin where, and a slight or a different title of the message. And the reason for that is that as I was studying the passage, you know, I, I had studied kind of loosely the passages as we were laying out this series through going through John's gospel and um, thought, well, it kind of made sense to, to do a break at verse uh, 18. And so last week preached on John 7 verses 1 through 18. And um, as I was then studying this week on, in more depth on John 19, John 7 verse 19 to 36, which I thought would be the passage, came to understand and realize and I guess be convinced that really the key for understanding that passage was in one of those previous verses. And so I'm going to backtrack just a little bit from what we uh, expected and begin reading at verse 16 of John chapter 7. And I'll invite you to turn there in your copy of the scripture, whether in the pew in front of you, there's a red Bible that you can free to use, or if you have a Bible installed on your phone, feel free to swipe your way there. And let's come to God's word to us this morning and read John chapter 7, verses 16 to 36. And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you're all astonished. He's referring to the miracle in John chapter 5 of healing the man at Bethesda, at the pool of Bethesda, who had been lame for 38 years. Verse 22. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, well, actually, it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs. You circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you so angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly. They're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. 
Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you'll not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You'll look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. This is God's word. This is a sermon for doubters. A sermon for doubters. You may have your doubts about Jesus. You may wonder about him. You may wonder who is he really. This is a sermon for doubters. What I want us to realize at the beginning, though, is that there are two kinds of doubters. There is a kind of doubt or a kind of person who really does want to follow God. They just want to know for sure. They want to follow God, but they have doubts and they want to know for sure. A person who really does want to follow God, when they get a good answer to their good question, they take the next step. But there's another kind of doubt that's, um, that uses their doubts to barricade themselves against God because they don't want to know God. They ultimately don't want to know God, and so when they go to get a good answer to a good question, it's never quite good enough. And so they use their doubts as a way to barricade themselves against God. You see, the problem with our doubts is not our doubts, but underneath our doubts. And it's the question this, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Do you want to encounter God? Do you want to be clean again? Are you willing to hand yourself over to him for his complete renovation in your life? Do you want God? You know, you're here today, I assume, because at some level, at least, Jesus is interesting to you. He's maybe even compelling to you. You're maybe favorable towards him. You know, there's always been doubts and controversy surrounding Jesus and who he is. This passage in John chapter 7 is full of them. If you look at verse 12, we didn't read that this morning. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering, which isn't to mean whisper, whisper. It means muttering. There was widespread muttering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Ever heard that? I'm kind of favorable towards Jesus. I think he was a very good man, a good teacher. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Some say, Jesus, yes, you're a good man. Others say, no, Jesus was evil. He was out to deceive people. Verse 20, we read this. You're demon-possessed. Some thought, Jesus, you're crazy. You're crazy. 
you're self-deceived maybe. Maybe, maybe you're not deliberately deceiving other people about who you are, but maybe you um, really believe that, but you, you can't possibly be who you claim, are claiming to be. You're, you're demon-possessed. You're crazy. Others, though, verse 31, many in the crowd put their faith in him, they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? Concluding that, yes, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is who he was claiming to be. Four possibilities of answering the question, who is Jesus? He's a good man. He deceives others. He was self-deceived. He's crazy. Or fourthly, maybe he indeed is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all, the Christ. Which is it? Which is it? How do we know? How do we know? Verse 24, he says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He is inviting you to judge him. He's inviting us to judge him, and he wants to help us judge rightly. Are we open? Are we open? Are we open to what he has to say? See, these are questions of eternal significance. Eternal significance. How can we be sure about him? This passage passage tells us there is a way. There is a way you can be sure about Jesus. And it's surprising. There is a way where you can get past the controversy and you can get past the hoopla surrounding Jesus. And you can judge Jesus and his claims with accuracy in a satisfying way. Even with a kind of joyful abandon. You see, if Jesus is who he claims to be, then nothing is more important than to connect to the real Jesus in his grace and in his glory. Friends, Jesus loves doubters. Jesus loves doubters. He does not despise us. He is able and he is willing to reveal himself to us. The key is in verse 17. We read it from the English Standard Version. If anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Read that again. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Friends, I'm grateful for the word anyone. Are you grateful? Are you thankful for the word anyone? Jesus is accessible to anyone and everyone. He was never the kind of rabbi, he was never the kind of intellectual who only appealed to an elite status. He was always inviting ordinary people, regular people. These are welcoming words. For example, John 3.16, we know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. That's crazy. 
You don't have to qualify. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to make the cut. You can be weak. You can be undeserving. You can be discredited, and we all are. And Jesus says, you can believe in him, and you can have eternal life because his heart is open to whoever. John 6, verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Anyone. These are big, open words. Anyone can come. Anyone is welcome. All that Jesus requires is that you come to him. You can be dirty and you can come to his table. You can have doubts. You can exclude yourself. But Jesus overrides your self-exclusion. All you need is to be hungry enough to come and eat at his feast of grace. Because there's room at his feast for anyone. That's what he says. If anyone's will is to do God's will. There's a precondition. If. If. How. That tells us how we can connect to him. The condition, though, friends, is not our merit. Not what we deserve. It's not our strength, it's not our abilities, it's not our background, it's not our ethnicity, it's not our intelligence, it's not future promises of better behavior. The only condition is of willingness. I'm so thankful it doesn't say able to do God's will. If you're able to do God's will. I'm so thankful it doesn't say that. Some of you may know Rudyard Kipling's poem, If... You know that poem? If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you. And on and on it goes for six or four verses of many, many lines of if you can do this, if you can do this, then all the earth will be yours. Then you'll be a man, my son. If you can do all this, then you'll be a man. But what if I can't? What if I can't? Friends, Jesus died to make your sins and your inabilities wonderfully irrelevant. Jesus opened his veins and poured out his lifeblood to pay for every foolish word, for every silly action, for every inability that would hold you back and would keep you out. He could not be more willing And he could not be more open to anyone who's willing. Many people stay away from Jesus because they say, why bother? I know that I can't keep it up. I'm no good at being good. Perfect. Hold that thought and come. Jesus sets a precondition, but it is not a precondition of merit, what we deserve. Or it's not a precondition of ability, what we can prove. But only of openness. Only of openness. How could it be otherwise? This is the Jesus who said, He who comes to me, I will never cast out. He's available. He sustains us. He welcomes us. This is the Jesus who said, Don't don't be afraid, it's I. This is the Jesus who reassures us. This is Jesus who says, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. 
He welcomes us. See, friends, Jesus has resolved deep in his heart that nothing will keep him from anyone who comes to him. We don't need to deserve him, but we must want him. We must want him. You say, well, what about my doubts? What about my questions? What about my difficulties? How can I come? Friends, don't let doubt stop you. Doubt and faith can coexist in the same person at the same time. Maybe you've never thought of that before. Doubt and faith can coexist in the same person at the same time. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that the way we are? I see it in myself all the time. You know, there's a time where Jesus said to Peter, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you see that? He's acknowledging that Peter has faith. Oh, you of little faith. It's little faith, but it's real faith. It's there. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? They're all mixed up together, this faith and doubt. But isn't that the way you and I are? Even with your doubts, you can come to him. You can come to him. What the Lord expects from us is not perfect clarity. It's not strong ability, but willing receptivity. You say, Jesus, if anyone's will is to do God's will, willing to do what? What does it mean to be willing to do God's will? See, that's where clarity about Jesus comes down from above and lands on doubters like us, where Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. But what it's so important for us to understand is that when Jesus gives a command, he also provides the strength we need to respond to it. It was St. Augustine who said, uh, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will. You are the Lord. You are God. Your creator, your sustainer of all things. You can command whatever you will. You can give me any instruction, any exhortation, any command that you want because of who you are. Command what you will. But would you also grant what you command? Would you also give me the strength to do what you command? You see, friends, God doesn't, God remembers that we're weak. He remembers that we're weak that we're fallen. And he's gracious to us. And every time he gives a command, he also provides the strength required to obey that command. And so where Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he's talking about a willingness to start following Jesus, a teachability. It might be best if I illustrate this by by showing the opposite of that kind of willingness. What's the opposite of being willing to do God's will? Well, maybe you could say, you know, I, I see in the Bible that 
that God wants me to change, that God wants me to grow, that God wants me to use my money this way, or I see in the Bible that God wants me to use my time this way, or I see in the Bible that God wants me to use my sexuality this way. That I see in the Bible that he has claims on everything in me, but I don't want that much of him. I want him to bless me, generally. (laughs) I want him to improve my life, but I don't want him to really change my life. I'll decide how far Jesus can go in my life. That's a refusal to do God's will. That's the opposite of what Jesus is describing here. That's impenetrable doubt because it wants to be impenetrable. It's not willing to do God's will. It says, I already know what I believe about men and women, gender and marriage. I already know what I believe about how I want my life to go. I already know about how I want, what desires I want to be, to be played out in my life. I already know about my needs. And so if Jesus doesn't fit into what I already know about these things, then I'm out of here. I'm not willing to go there. Now, you can cloak that kind of unwillingness in doubts, but the problem is your willingness. You assume that Jesus is wrong before you even begin the investigation. If he's God, with all due respect, who cares what you think? Right? Right? I read this week an illustration. I didn't write it down, so I'm going from memory here. But the illustration was, imagine two flies, little house flies or barn flies in a barn, talking about a cow. Talking about the cow. And the one fly says, well, what are we going to make of this cow? What do you think about about him? What are we going to do with this cow? And the other one says, well, I don't know. Maybe we should put put him outside. Get him out of the barn. That's ridiculous, right? Because the cow, in comparison to the fly, is so monstrous. The only thing the fly should be worried about is what should we do in response to that big monstrous being here in the barn? Let's stay away from its tail. Let's deal properly with ourselves in relation to him. And so, friends, who cares what you've already decided about whatever your particular issue is that you need resolved, that you have doubts about with respect to Jesus? Come to him and investigate whether or not he's God and whether or not then he has the right to define and to command You see, limiting Jesus on purpose is a deal breaker. Being unwilling to do God's will is a deal breaker. Jesus' grace and his mercy are far too wild for that. And we need to be we need to understand and we need to be aware that that kind of guardedness is in our culture generally ascribed or described as Christian. 
that you can have that kind of guardedness and go just far enough with Jesus that you can be described as Christian by our culture. And so you can say, I've already defined how far God's claims will go. and I've already defined for me what being a Christian will look like in my life. And so I'll come here on Sunday mornings. But come a second time? I don't think so. Participate in the life of the church beyond a Sunday morning gathering? That's going a little far. You see, we can, we can be unwilling to do God's will and still be described as Christian. Limiting Jesus on purpose is a deal breaker. Limiting Jesus on purpose is a deal breaker. To say, I am unwilling to do what I see in the scripture is to be unwilling to do his will. And so we ought to examine those who would say, yes, I'm, I am a Christian. I've, I've crossed that line. I believe in him. We ought to examine our lives for that kind of guardedness, for that kind of putting God in a boxedness. The issue isn't this sin or this weakness. The question is, are you open? Is God's will what you want right now? Or do you have limits? And say, this far and no further in my life. But what I want us to hear this morning, friends, is that you can have more of him in your life. If you'll open up. If you'll give him your longings for intimacy. If you'll give him your past, if you'll give him your wounds that are so hard to let go of, if you would give him your future and your fears, and of course you have doubts. Of course you have doubts. But there is a way to know for sure whether Jesus loves you and will care for you forever. There is a way to have God as the center of your story. There is a way to be clean again and to be clean forever. And it's this. Go to Jesus and nowhere else. Go to Jesus and nowhere else. Come to him and say, as I am, as I really am, I want you as you really are. Show yourself to me. And then seek him. Read about him. Read about Jesus in the Gospels. Talk about him with others. Would you have the courage to investigate him like that, to say, if you really are God, if you really are the creator, if you really are the savior, then you do have the will, or you do have the right to to say what I should do and what my life should look like and what it means for me to follow you. And so I'm willing, I'm open to what you would have to say to me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you use this simple message, this simple truth, this simple 
word, these simple words of Jesus, if anyone's will is to do God's will, they will know that we would know, Jesus, you're where you come from and where you derive your authority. We would know whether you're only a good man or we would know whether you are deceiving people or self-deceived or we would know whether you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Father, we pray that your spirit would be searching our hearts, even in these moments, to know whether or not we are willing to do your will. And Lord, none of us are perfect in that regard. All of our motives are, are mixed. And our faith and our doubts are so mixed up and mixed together. But we pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, shine your light so that we would move out from the shadows and into the light. That you would reveal to us those areas in which we've maybe been restricting you, where we've been unwilling to open up and follow you. So, Father, would you do your will? Would you have your way with us? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.